Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Big Life Podcast. Jordan, another successful weekend for you guys. A couple tough games and everything. How are we feeling after this week? Um, Mixed emotions, for sure. You know, we the dominant game Thursday coming out 6-0. We had another hat trick for Mackenzie Anthony on our team. So felt really good after that. And then, unfortunately, we fell to Notre Dame Sunday in a 2-1 loss, which... For me, it was a bit of, you know, mixed emotions. I have a good friend on my team, number 13, Delaney Matriano, that I got to kind of walk out there with. They called the, you know, lineups, you know, balls in the middle. Uh, and we're just like face to face right out there, which is pretty nostalgic. You know, it brings back all the, you know, memories and everything where I'm like, for me, and we'll get into this this episode too, but like, I never thought this would happen where I would get here. And then being able to stand off right there with her, who is someone I looked up to as a player, you know, she taught me so much about the game, just watching her play. So to be able to stand right there and kind of hold her own and realize how far we've come together, it was an incredible feeling. I wish the result would have been different, but, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a good game. My game had an early kickoff on Sunday because of the heat and everything that's going on in the Midwest. So we actually got to catch the tail end of Jordan. So I did get to see the last minute goal that Jordan did score off a corner kick. And I saw that live, which was fun for me. But obviously a tough game against a tough opponent. Incredible team, unfortunate result, but we took a lot out of it. So you had your senior night. How was yeah. that? How'd that go? Tears. I have cried so much, Jordan. It's not even funny. Like, we did senior night really early this year. And because of that, I was like, oh, I'm not going to be that emotional. It's not like it's like my last game on this home field or anything like that. Like, I'll be fine. I could not like stop crying yesterday night. Like, it was just so weird to me, like that I'm old, uh, getting to Iowa in 2019. And now, you know, playing the 2023 fall here. It's just, it's been a lot. And like, so much of my journey has been in Iowa and been on that field with all these people. And so I think a lot of it really started hitting me that this is my last college season. And one of our favorite traditions that I, we have on senior day is every girl on the team writes every senior a letter. And so just a little note about whatever, you know, favorite memories, favorite whatever. And last night, I literally like after my shower after the game, I like laid in my bed and I read all of those letters and I could not stop sobbing. And so just to be able to reminisce on the friendships and the relationships that I cherish so much and you know, kind of hear a little bit about like what they think about me in those ways too. On top of that, we played SEMO, which kind of like you were just saying, you had little moments with someone that you grew up playing with. I had that too. So I got to go up for captains with the girl in my club who her and I, she was my center back in club. So Natalie Jackson over at SEMO is their fifth year. So going up for captains with her was so fun and a little bit weird. We got to joke about that a little bit. And being from Missouri, SEMO's in south, the Southern part of Missouri. So I know a bunch of girls that played for my club in that. And there's even one girl that was cracking me up. I kind of made a slide tackle on the out of bounds and I slid into the CMO's bench a little bit. And the girl like goes, nice tackle, Sam Carey. And it was like the CMO player who just knew me growing up. And so a couple of really fun moments like that. And then Thursday night, we were on the road. We played Mississippi State. So traveling down to an SEC school is never an easy task or anything like that. And on top of that, we actually have a girl on our team who transferred from Mississippi State. So I know that game meant a lot to her. And we were able to put them away with a 1-0 win. Just came out really, really well in the first 30 minutes of the game and was able to capitalize on an opportunity. So definitely a good weekend for Iowa. I will say I have to shut us out. We are the only Big Ten team that is currently um, drawless and, like, I guess, lossless at 5-0. So we're only undefeated team with all wins. So excited to have that, but a super challenging weekend coming up, too. Yeah, congratulations. No small accomplishment there. Um, definitely deserve the shout out. So so speaking of big score lines this week, a couple really interesting things that have been happening looking at trends in women's soccer and women's college soccer alone. One of the big ones I want to shout out is I feel like more and more mid-major schools have been up- upsetting power fives. And I feel like especially we're going to talk a lot today about the recruiting process, about high school soccer and all these things. And both of us play in a power five conference, like both of us play in the big 10. However, I feel like there's a big draw to power five. You know, there's a big flashiness almost that's there. And that's proven to not necessarily be the best in a lot of cases. And so I think it's definitely worthwhile to shout out that a lot of these smaller schools seem to start pulling some upsets. And I think it's a really interesting thing. And I like the balance that's creating in soccer. So really cool to catch out a couple of in particular, we have Liberty upsetting West Virginia three to one. 
And Samford ties on number five, Alabama zero zero this week. Yeah, definitely. Um, another fun fact is Providence is the only team with zero goals allowed, which is absolutely insane for to be this far into the season to have zero goals on five games, six games, depending on what their schedule looks like. Very, very impressive. So shout out to Providence for sure. Absolutely. And of course, we're talking about smaller schools, but you couldn't talk about this week in college soccer without talking about the downfall of number one. BYU beats UCLA three to one on their home field. And I saw some videos from that game, Jordan. I don't know if you saw like a TikTok that went viral from one of the girls about her goal celebration, like knocking over the barrier and like sliding into a huge crowd of people. So it seemed like it was an insane atmosphere. They said they had like 5,000 or something like that at that game. So super cool. Congrats to them. Huge accomplishment, of course. There was some other really weird stuff, Jordan, that happened though this week. Did you hear about the dust storm that happened at Grand Canyon University in Arizona? Yeah, that was crazy. It was, what, the first time they were possibly going to have to postpone or delay a game because of it, but Literally. they ended up just playing through it, but it was just, like, a crazy thing that they couldn't see. Like, Yeah, the visibility. I was talking to a girl who's over out, like, was at the game, and she was, like, it was just so crazy, like. Soccer versus Mother Nature. It's It's a <laughs> battle for not the week. <laughs> and the other big news in the Big Ten, of course, I feel like we're talking a lot about individual players. You know, every week the Big Ten comes out with their individual awards of goalkeeper, freshman, defender, and offensive player of the week. And I would put money that tomorrow out, it comes out that Emma Jaskinek from Wisconsin's Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, knowing her personally a little bit, I'm so excited to see her journey. And she had a really, really brutal injury at the end of last season. And to see her comeback has been unreal. And against LSU, she scored two and assisted one in their 3-0 win. So big impact player for Wisconsin. It's been super fun to see her journey coming back up. An incredibly impressive stat line right there, especially against such a you know impressive team. So to be able to put two in, have the assist on a 3-0 game, she's directly involved in every goal. She's definitely back. And you know, We've talked a lot about earlier in an episode about all the Big Ten-ness and the craziness that's happening with conference realignment, but it's kind of crazy that this is not a Big Ten thing. It is now a countrywide situation with the Pac-12 almost going away, which is really weird and crazy to say out loud. So for those who don't know, this week has been finalized that SMU, Cal, and Stanford will now be entering the Atlantic Coast Conference. So it's getting a little weird out here, Jordan. What's your initial thoughts and impressions on that? I'm not super surprised just because of the conversations we've had before. It makes sense that people are going to continue to leave and realign with, you know, the major conferences here. Uh, I am a little shocked at the timing, how quickly this is all happening just this late in the season. A lot of times your games are scheduled so many years in advance, everything's figured out. So I think it's going to be a little bit of chaos here for the coaching staff to try and schedule all these games and to be able to have this type of clearance this late in the in the season, I think is wild. But, you know, I'm not super shocked with the fact that more teams are leaving and joining ACC Big Ten, you know, things like that. And some of the crazy things that I think have come out of the ACC realignment that I've seen so far is, first of all, when the ACC voted for these three schools to join, three three schools voted no. And those schools were Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina. So I feel like those are three of your major power players in the ACC voting no on them joining. So I feel like that's just going to create, like, there's not a lot of conference, same page, same thought going on there, too. So Definitely going to see the politics that shake out there. And, you know, there was talk about how they're going to handle sports like women's soccer that play two games a week. And, you know, Thursday, Sunday, how are you going to handle that literal cross-country flying? I mean, we experience in the Big Ten, and we're going to talk about it and have to deal with it. But now other conferences are shifting. And one thought that I overheard that they said, they're going to use SMU, which is in Dallas, Texas, as like a neutral site for a lot of schools. So like Stanford Duke would be played at SMU. And like just the lack of home games that that might create and different things just feels like a very, very interesting decision to make for women's soccer. Yeah, I'm not incredibly well-versed on the whole scenario at the moment, but that seems like a kind of a crazy compromise to come up with. Wouldn't be too thrilled, I think, if I were, you know, those those teams that were previously in the ACC that now they're having to travel. It's definitely going to be a really interesting situation and one that we'll keep our eyes on and looking at updating as we figure it all out. And, but it's like Jordan said right now, I don't think anyone really knows what's happening and 
I get it at the end of the day. A lot of these decisions are financially motivated, but there's a lot of very unique perspectives and challenges that are going to come out of them too. It's definitely something to keep an eye on, but also I think it's going to beg a question. A lot of us were saying that Big Ten might bounce to the top conference in the country with UCLA and USC joining two great, great schools of soccer for women's soccer, especially joining an already good conference. And now you got Stanford and Cal and SMU going over to the ACC. So definitely going to be a big debate about who's going to be the new power conference and how everything's going to look. So it'll definitely be an interesting one to follow along with. I'm interested to see what they do with all teams. You know, we speak a lot on soccer. And then obviously, I think a lot of these decisions are based on football and the financial aspect that goes along with that. But like teams like softball that play so many games, an incredible amount of games with the travel and everything like that. So like you said, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. So Jordan, we wanted to talk today. And for those who listened to our last episode of the podcast, I think Jordan and I realized that we have very, very different stories about how we've gotten to where we are. And I think that really brings up a unique perspective too, because one thing I know I've noticed as I've gotten to know Jordan more is we have very different personalities and not in a bad way at all. So Jordan, first of all, before we get into our lives before Big Ten Soccer, what is your thoughts, I guess, of the importance of having people with different personalities and different life experiences on the same team together? If you had all all of you or all of me, like you're not going to have a well-balanced team. You know, me and you are very, very different. And like you said, I think we bring very different qualities to our team. We definitely have individuals who fall a lot more into your league, probably, you know, lead with their voice and, you know, their positive happy upbringing um you know personalities every day and then I think I'm a lot more chill a lot more laid back you know kind of I'd rather lead by example than probably vocally it's still something I'm trying to work on is being able to use my voice on the field it doesn't happen that much as much as you would like to see but I think it brings a nice balance into it and you have individuals that maybe are more extroverted that will bring out a different side of me where, you know, others will go in the corner and, you know, we'll be more chill. And so being able to balance each other out, have people that lead by example, have people that lead with their voice, have people that have no problem following, you know, you're not having that big challenge, big personalities, always challenging each other for a leadership position or things of that nature. Um, it's super, super important to have those types of dynamics on the team. It'd be super boring if you had all of just one personality too. You know, we bring the best out of each other. 100%. No, I totally agree. Like I would genuinely be scared if there was a soccer team of 20 of my personalities. I think that could be literal chaos at all times. Um, we do a really unique thing at the Iowa soccer program, actually. Uh, we fully dive into the Enneagram personality test every year. So for those who don't know the Enneagram, it's a scale of nine numbers. And basically certain personalities have different qualities that represent each number. And it's not like the numbers are numerical, like a one is better than a five, which is better than a nine in any regard, but they all have different personalities and different ways that they interact with each other. And one thing we really, really value is that in our program, we have someone that represents every number. Uh, so we have every every single person represented. And I think that's really important. And another thing is we all know each other's numbers. It's something very commonly that in preseason or in our spring season, we'll give like a presentation. All of the eights will get together and give a presentation on what is an eight? What is a three? And that way we can see, okay, Josie Durr is a number three. How is it best that I communicate with her? What does she need me to do? You know, an eight is what I am. And that is known to be the very dynamic leadership blunt vocal person and very much hits me with the nail on the head I'm not doubting that at all but I can't talk to a two this or a four the same way I can talk to another eight so knowing that about your team knowing the other personalities I think is something that's so so interesting and that's a test like I said there's so many out there it's one that I found really, really helpful in learning more about myself even. And I made my whole family take it and my fiance is taking it so we can communicate better. So if you have some free time, I definitely recommend looking up an Enneagram test and seeing where you stand on that. Yeah, I've actually, this is the first time I'm hearing of it, but it sounds like it could probably be super helpful for our team because, you know, a lot of new faces, a lot of new girls, like we've mentioned before. So being able to have a numerical value and being able to have something that kind of defines it in that way I think could be super super helpful so Michigan State women's soccer might copy you a little bit here um if you had to expose my secrets to you it's okay if you had to guess what number would you say I am oh that's a good question okay we'll we'll check back in with this I'm gonna guess that you are number nine 
So a number nine okay. is more of the, you hit it on the head with the not very vocal, will sit towards the back of the room and just kind of put their head down, but lead by example. But it's one of those, like, because they use their voice so little, when they do use their voice, it carries weight. So that would be my guess. So I want you to take the test and we'll report back after this. <laughs> Sounds good. You have to go away. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So we've talked a bit about our crazy personalities and our different life stories. And Jordan kind of teased us last week about her very, very unique path to where she is. So I want to hear all about this journey you had and how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, my journey was definitely, definitely unique in terms of where I ended up. And I think it makes the moments like I mentioned with Notre Dame just so much more powerful where I'm so grateful to where I ended up because I don't think it was probably supposed to happen. I never thought this was really in the cards for me until super late into my career. Um, I joined club pretty late, seventh grade. Um, for us, it goes, you have your rec, then you have travel, and then you have club. Your travel is essentially where you play your local city teams, your county teams, things of that nature. You don't really travel much, so I don't get the name, but <laughs> um, that's what it is. So on travel, I was always you know, the biggest, fastest, strongest girl on the team got to a certain point where I'm looking to make my high school team so we should probably hit the age where I, I should probably join club you know I'm the oldest in my family for those of you who, who don't know me I have three younger brothers and a younger sister so I'm the oldest of five this is the first time my parents are going through any of this we don't really know a whole bunch there's not that many kids in my direct area that have done it before so we're kind of just guessing figuring it out we find this club team and everyone's telling us it's it's the best I get out of the car and my dad's just trying to like kind of console me almost before it happens he's like you know I've never really heard no before I'm this like elite athlete in my head at you know the seventh grader I'm like I got this this will be easy and he's like Jordan like what if you make the B team like what do you want to do you know I'm trying out for these other club teams I'm like I don't really like it I don't want to go here you know I just didn't find the right fit yet so we're going to this tryout for OP fire and he's trying to console me and I get out of the car I'm like dad I'm, I'm making the team like come on like duh and we go out and like 30 seconds in I realize that this is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done um I have the tryout of my life right like I'm just everything I have tryout of my life we go and the coach you know is talking to me a little bit we we're like on the fence like maybe maybe not I'm like I really want this um and my parents are like all right if you make the team like we'll figure out a way to make this work you know, they weren't planning on really traveling that much. This was supposed to be for me to get on the high school team, right? Like my parents would be like, if anything over a 45 minute drive for my travel team, find a ride, like this sucks. And I were traveling like six, seven, eight hours for a weekend game. But like, we'll do our best. We'll figure out a way to make it work. The coach ends up calling my dad. And the first words he's ever said to me is like, you're number 20 on a 16 person roster. Um, and I was ecstatic. I was like, yes, let's go. We made it. I made it. I'm like, my dad's like, Jordan, did you hear him? I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> I should not have been on that team. I was, I had parents on the team that saw me play on my, you know, travel team, calling the coach and being like, what did you do? This girl should not be here. <laughs> like, what did you do? It was the number one club team in the nation. We were number one at that age, at that level. So we go, I end up being converted from what I was traditionally a forward into an outside back. Now I'm playing left back. I did that for two years. And then we had the whole age rule change. I was the youngest on the team. My parents decided and we were talking that I should be somewhere where I could, one, at this point, you're starting to kind of realize that maybe I could go past high school. I played That's CFC. kind of crazy thing to interject with, but do you remember the like emotional drama and like the craziness that was that age group shift? Like I remember feeling like it was genuinely the end of the world when that happened for us. I was devastated. So the age group change was more of a like, I think relief for us that we didn't have to make a decision like that. It kind of just happened to us and happened for us. And it was... I think perfect timing for me looking back, but I mean, I was devastated. I absolutely loved those girls. I learned so much. I played with like Taylor Huff, who plays at Florida State now, Shelby Salee from Xavier. I mean, some of the best players I have ever gotten the privilege of sharing the field with. I think every single person on that OP fire team, except for maybe like one or two, went on to play high level division one athletics for you know different sports. It was an incredible team to be a part of. And I was devastated that it was ending. At the same time, I think it was a bit of relief that I could 
then go play the position I wanted age appropriate and kind of build up some confidence that I really lost because I was number 20 on a 16 person roster you know I, it's probably the hardest I ever worked for something in my life too with that OP fire team you know I would go out there I had to juggle for two hours every day that was kind of my task and I did it you know I went out and I juggled for two hours every day by the end of the first year on OP fire I became the starting left center back or left outside back. And it was, you know, incredible accomplishment. And I got to the point where I could kind of start fighting for more, fighting for the position I wanted. I gotta ask, because I feel like this is what a lot of people are wondering right now. And as a person who grew up as a left back, what's the beef with left back, bro? Why did you hate left yeah, back so much? I hated it. I was miserable. I hate there's I hated it. I I loved being a forward, you know. I just absolutely loved scoring goals. That was that was my my passion. My one passion for soccer was to go up and score the goals. And I think what made me such a good outside back is how much I hated it. So I mean, I would be all the way in the other, you know, box, all the way up the field doing stuff. You know, I dribble past as many players as I could to try and get a shot off. I was like the leading scorer as the outside back, and not by like corner kicks or anything. I just like went, <laughs> um, which is why I was good at it, but also like probably could do that more but it was like screw was the formation screw the scouting lineup we don't need a four back I got this guys no we didn't have any of that by the way like I was coming into college I think that was the biggest shock ever was like people do scouts there's a formation now I was like I don't know I like I don't know any of that turns out it's important um still figuring I think that's still probably the weakest part of my game that I have to work on is like just really locking in the whole like strategic part of it so working on that like whole strategic part of it was uh, such a shock coming into college I've come a long way still have a long way to go though but I became very very versatile then I was playing a little bit of everywhere there was some interest I had in me from like Bowling Green IUPUI um these division one schools I didn't really have any offers until later than a, a lot of my teammates who were already committed so my junior year COVID hit I missed that um and then somewhere in the middle there, when was that rule change? What year was That's that for you? Rule. That is crazy. So, right that in the middle of my recruiting. In the midst of COVID, right? During COVID, there was a recruiting ban for a while. So there was like no college, anything happening for a long, long time. And then yeah, I was okay. be wrong with that. But then that's when like the rule change and everything too, because they, with the rule ban, they just shifted with everything. So I didn't have a whole lot of interest before that dead period. So my junior year missed because of COVID. And then we go into the recruiting kind of ban, that dead period where everything was shut down, which then became into a role change where you weren't allowed to talk to coaches until June 15th yeah. before your senior year, right in the middle of my process. When we got news that that, that was going to happen, a bunch of coaches reached out. I got on the phone with a couple people, one of them being Michigan State. I literally got on the phone with them, I think like an hour before that dead period went into effect. First time I talked to them, I was like, all right. Like first time I really knew much about them or heard of them. I didn't know much going into the recruiting process. I still didn't think I was good enough to kind of get to the level I wanted. In my head, I was probably going to go D3, play basketball, play soccer, get my education paid for. That was the biggest thing for me was that I was going to be a student. I wanted to get my education paid for. I wanted to make it all worth it in that aspect. And I was willing to go D3 if, if I had to. And I knew I didn't want to play left back, which is kind of where I still was. I was like, I will drop the levels. Like, I don't like it here. But it will do will... anything not to be a left back. Left backs are the I, worst, okay? I cannot emphasize that enough. Um, which was, I mean, this is, you know, seems dramatic, but it was a huge I'm part of my- I'm calling Jeff my... right now. Be like, Jeff, I need you to play Jordan at left back just for the whiff of it. I mean, someone get a camera because the looks I would give him- <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I was, I was willing to go D3 and I thought that was probably going to be the path for me. Um, but that period ends and then all of a sudden I kind of come into my own, you know, a little bit. Michigan State keeps talking to me. I get some offers from Bowling Green, IUPUI, Purdue, um, some interest from Ohio State where I'm like, I could probably be a walk-on, but financially doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. We keep going through the process. I'm like, okay, I, I'll probably end up at Bowling Green, which is where I was leaning to. And I didn't have didn't have a ton of interest. We finally got to the point where I got past the whole D3 thing with basketball. I was like, okay, Bowling Green makes sense for me now. And then, you know, Michigan State, they just kept talking to me. 
kept talking to me. I was like, all right, you know, we'll see where this goes. I didn't expect much to come from it though. Just knowing where I stood with other big 10 schools and things of that nature. I go to an ID camp for them and I have the performance of a lifetime, just left it all out there. Um, they immediately call me while still on campus and are like, come back for an official visit. I'm like, okay, I'll come back. You know, I'm calling my coach, you know, what is an official visit? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, how is it any different than me showing up at campus? And he's kind of explaining it to me. They'll, they'll pay for your hotel rooms. They'll pay for your meals. They pay for your, all that type of stuff. They kind of lay out the red carpet for you. I was like, okay, sweet. This sounds awesome. You know, I go, I do my, you know, get all ready. This is my first visit to any school now. We do the official visit. They end up giving me my offer like during the visit. And the entire time I'm walking through campus, I'm just like thinking to myself, like what, what could they offer? Like how, what can we afford? What can they do to make this worth it? Like how much am I willing to do? Cause I just, every time I see a building or I see something like I just picture myself there. And I had visited other schools just kind of like driving around or walking through myself. And I'm just, I was settling, you know, I was like, yeah, like we can go here, like soccer works, the financial works, like academics work, like all this stuff, but I didn't fall in love with anything. And Michigan State immediately, I just fell in love with it all. Was Every it aspect of it. Did you? Cause there's also a coaching change that you had to deal with. Yeah, this is okay. the old coaches. This is Tom and Tammy okay. recruiting me. Interesting. I, you know, yeah, I, I love them. They had a very, very good family dynamic aspect to it. I think they're the people that needed to recruit me. Me and Jeff joke all the time. He like never would have recruited me to Michigan. State. <laughs> if it was I would be here. He would never have picked up the phone. And if he did, after three sentences with me, I'd be like, oh, you're in Big Ten? And he would have been like, okay, next. <laughs> I had no idea. I, I knew nothing going into this process. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, but they ended up giving me the offer during my visit and I committed on the spot, like right there. I was like, okay, done. You know, like an hour later, I called my coach. I had other official visits lined up with like, you know, a couple other schools. Um, I called my coach. He's like, did you, did you commit yet? I was like, uh, one second. I committed, um, you know, like an hour later, like pretty much immediately after they, they gave me the offer at dinner. So that's kind of my, you know, long-winded story. So I don't, hopefully it makes sense. It's a little bit of a roller coaster. No, there, for but... sure. That's, it's so fascinating for me because like, like I said, we literally joked earlier, like we have are very different, but we had very different processes. And I think the really, really special thing about your story that I would love for people to take away is everyone's process looks different. Jordan's journey alone speaks to how different processes can be. And it's really, really amazing to hear like how you just kind of kept betting on yourself and knowing that you were going to do it one day. And that's, that's such a fun journey to follow along with. And so inspirational for, I'm sure so many girls. The amount of gratitude I have to his, John Felton is the coach that took that first chance on me. Cause there's no way I would be here now. Like I shouldn't have even been on that club team. And now I'm, I'm at, you know, what was one of the top, top teams in the nation. You know, I, we still are, but you know, the rankings have changed maybe a little bit. I never would have imagined this being in the cards for me, that this is happening for me all those years ago when I joined that club team. I just wanted to make my high school team and I probably wasn't good enough to do that at the time. And now I'm playing for Michigan State. We went undefeated last year, winning the conference title. I had a significant role on the team, you know, having, I think, like I said, uh, in a few episodes ago, like, just to show the significance of, of how far I've come, seven goals, four of which being game winners, five of which being in conference. Like I was a significant player on such- hey, You can brag about yourself here, actually. You know, you're allowed to be confident and talk about your amazing accomplishments. Yeah, and such a, uh, you know, an, an impressive team. Like, I mean, just, you know, talking about all this, how far I've come from where I started trying to go D3 and play basketball is like, it really is. Every journey is so much different. Mine happened pretty late. That's awesome. I mean, I truly believe in the whole, like everything happens for a reason and there is a plan for everyone. And so for you to find yours like that is truly such an amazing story and so, so cool. How was the transition when you went from going from Tom and Terry to switching to draft? Obviously you said it was different, but what was that like? All of a sudden your coach that you thought was going to be there, you committed under a coach, isn't there. How was that feeling? I cried so much when I found out Tom and Tammy were leaving, mainly because like 
I didn't know if I was safe. I didn't really know how it all worked. I was like, I think I already signed. Like, how good is this contract? Like, can he just kick me off? Like, he didn't recruit me. Is he still going to want me? Like, I'm not his player. All of those things racing through my mind. I'm like, same thing. I didn't have a whole bunch going on before them. Like, where am I going to go? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm screwed is basically what I was thinking, which was very dramatic, um, probably. But I was just terrified because I didn't, I didn't know. It turned out as soon as I got here, um, it worked out the best way because everyone was in the dark kind of. Nobody knew what to expect. There's a turnaround for every single player on that team going from, I mean, Michigan State, you know, it worked out. But I came in and everyone was blind, which was really comforting instead of just being like a freshman and being the only five people not knowing what's going on. All I think it was like 28 of us at that time. We're all figuring it out together. It was really, really nice. And like the craziest thing to me about it is, you know, I'm not going to keep saying it, but the difference. So for me, my recruiting story is very, very different in a lot of different ways. But I know I did play for the whole, basically what you would call your travel team until seventh grade when I switched to the big fancy shiny club, which in St. Louis is St. Louis Scott Gallagher playing in the ECNL. And I remember vividly, I was playing up a year. I was, I was a sixth grader playing on a seventh grade team at the time. And my team lost eight to one to the team. Uh, but somehow, some way, apparently I scored the one. This is when I used to be a center midfielder, which I think half of the girls on my team would spit their, like do a spit take if they found out that I used to be a center midfielder. And they called me the next day. I was actually at a track meet because as much as basketball was your number two sport, track was mine. I was at a track meet and they gave me a call and they're like, we want you to come to Gallagher. And I was like, maybe you guys whipped us a little eight, eight to one yesterday. Like, I'm not good. And they're like, no, we see something in you. And they're like, we also know that you're a year younger. So you're going to go back to your own age group. And I remember like, this was around the time where I was like, mom, I want to play college soccer. I knew that soccer was my first love, everything that I wanted. And we were like, okay, but if I'm going to do it, like I can't be on this team anymore. I got to start moving up into the world challenging myself get the visibility all those different things and I remember like my parents the one thing they told me was like all right if we're going to commit to you stepping up you know taking a way more financial burden even on us driving an hour to practice and going to all these crazy places for these showcases these tournaments these games like if we're going to take the chance on you you're going to have to prove it to us and in that moment in that conversation was when I truly started taking soccer seriously and it was like all right like all the sacrifices that my family's putting in, I have to give that back to them. And so that meant, you know, there was no pressure on my parents regard of like going and playing in college or what a scholarship could look like. It was about my effort. And that was how I was going to pay everything back. So from that moment on, I remember it was like my mom and I would wake up two hours before school and it would be juggling before school. And some of my favorite memories with my mom were in my driveway. And if I was getting a new juggling record, my mom would be a little late to middle school. And that was the coolest thing when I could walk into middle school about 10 minutes late. And they're like, were you playing soccer? And I'm like, yeah, I was like, hate to flex. I was um, through high school. It was, you know, doing the early morning, 6am lift sessions, lift from six to seven, then driving to high school to start getting in the weight room a little bit. So so many, so many sacrifices from my parents really motivated me to kind of keep pursuing it. But I always felt like I was the underdog. You know, I did start at the fancy club where a lot of girls did. And so I didn't, you know, I was never the technical soccer player. I'll be the first one to say it. They actually recruited me to this fancy team as a forward. And our first practice, my first practice with them, we did 1v1 defending. And the coach looked at me and goes, you're going to be a left back. And I was like, all right, sounds good. I'm on the field. I'm happy. Let's go. I know the, the hatred for left back is really, really spewing in this. And I was like, dude, I'm on the field. Let's go. I didn't think that would happen for me. And I remember just the fun. And for me, as someone who was a track runner, I was a long distance track runner. So running up and down the field for a 90 minute game was nothing for me. I'm like, I'm used to competing in the two miles. So this is great. And I just loved every second of getting up and down the field, making the one-on-one -on -one tackles. I was the physical player. Like I said, I remember my favorite, favorite story is the fact that I actually almost got cut from my U13 team. So after seventh grade, I got benched so many games for not being able to hit a long ball. Like no part of me could deliver a long ball. And now I would say it's one of the strongest parts of my game. So just being able to like come from that journey of where I used to absolutely suck and see the growth is just so fun. And for me, you know, you got to get into high school, the college process starts and you know, the one thing I did very much forget until Jordan started talking about her process is that I am older. 
Uh, and that means that I didn't have the June 15th going into your junior year rule. I didn't really have any caps on when recruiting could start. And that meant like technically the rule was that before September 1st of your junior year, a coach could not contact you. However, the giant loophole in the entire system was you could contact a coach. So the whole triangle was then created of, I would text the college coach say, or I would get the college coach's phone number from my club coach who said they were interested. I would then text the college coach, hey, are you free to talk at six o'clock at night? The college coach would then text my club coach saying, Sam's going to call me at six. That works for me. The club coach tells me. So it created this very awkward triangle that everyone called the loophole of college soccer recruiting. And it just kind of became that thing that you had to do. And it was all I ever really knew. I remember my club coach telling me that I was good enough to play in the Big Ten. And Starting to grow up, I really fell in love with the Big Ten Conference. I wanted to be in the Midwest. I wanted to be at a Power Five if possible. And both my parents went to school in the Big Ten. Neither of my parents were ever athletes. Um, they both got their engineering degrees from the University of Illinois. And my dad went on and got his further education from Michigan. So I was very much a Big Ten person. And I was like, oh, okay, I want to play in the Big Ten. Cool. Sounds great. How do I do that? And one of my favorite stories, actually, is my parents wanted wanted what was what I wanted. They were going to be my number one fans, but kind of like you and your family, we had no idea what we were getting into. I have only an older brother who is a theater major and getting his master's in fine arts. We are very, very different people, to say the least. So getting into the athletic world, my parents were like, what are we doing? Like, how do we do any of this? My dad got asked to give a lecture at the University of Illinois, his alumni, for something he's working on within his job. And they're offered to pay him. And they're like, hey, like, we'll pay you for your time to come back to Champaign do all this stuff. And my dad, the first thing he said back to them was, I don't want to get paid for this. I want a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the women's soccer coach. And this was when I was in seventh grade. And he sure enough sat down. This woman took the meeting with this random man. And he said, listen, my daughter's a seventh grader. I'm not asking you to recruit her. I'm not asking you to do any of that. How as a parent, do I make this happen for her? How do I, where do I need to be? Who does she need to be playing for? Like how, how does college soccer work? How do you get recruited? What's the time frame? And so for this woman to sit down with this random dad and answer his questions and, you know, for my dad to be willing to walk into that office, which I can't even imagine how scary that had to be and get these questions answered was just unreal. And that kind of birthed for me the I'm going to go to the University of Illinois, um, which, as we all know, clearly didn't happen. <laughs> uh, but I fell in love with Illinois and the Big Ten Conference in that moment. And my first college visit was my freshman year of high school. It was an unofficial visit to the University of Illinois. Fell in love with that program and everything. And I was like, oh, I like the Big Ten. Like, this is a, this is a cool conference. And went on to do a couple other visits at Wisconsin and Purdue my freshman year. And then that summer, I get an email from my club coach that Iowa was interested in with me. And I remember I was actually already signed up to go to the Iowa ID camp because at this point, I was like, let's just try it all the Big Tens, right? Like, I want to play in the Big Ten, apparently and they like sent an email to me and my coach was like oh yeah by the way like they sent this email a while back but like I wanted to slow down the process for you and this is like when they were really trying to push slowing down the process which made sense but I'm like I didn't know Iowa was interested in me this entire time like you could have told me that sure enough I went to the ID camp at Iowa and shockingly the first words that were out of my mouth was I absolutely hate it here I will never go here uh no way yeah what I didn't realize was, so the Iowa ID camp is, you know, coached by many, many different coaches. And the first day of that camp, I didn't have the Iowa coach. And I was like, I don't like this coach. Like, this is terrible. My mom's like, he's not even the Iowa coach now. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I don't want to be here. That night at the hotel, I was like, this is not the place for me, whatever. Next day, the rest of the ID camp happens. It's a two-day ID camp. And sure enough, we start off with 1v1 defending, which is just something that's kind of always been in my story. And that's like, for me, you say 1v1 defending practice, it's a good day. And <laughs> clearly we disagree. And I went into this 1v1, Dave was the coach. And the joke is like on that day right there, I laid a girl on her butt, stole the ball, went and dribbled in the goal and I earned my scholarship. And I remember I was really like, I had a strength coach at the time who I went to twice a week at 6 a.m. And the joke was he was my therapist. And every day I would show him and be like, I'm going to Purdue. I'm going to Illinois. And he's like, dude, you've, you've said that after every visit. Like, you clearly don't know what you're looking for. And I'm like, yeah, no, I just I want to play college soccer. And after the Iowa visit, I was like, yeah, no, I'm going here. 
And he was like, are you sure you've said that after every single visit? Like, what makes this different? And I'm like, I know that this is different. And for me, what it really was, was I never really thought I was good enough to play in the Big Ten either. I remember when people started finding out I was going on Big Ten college visits, there was a lot of confusion within my club team. I was always the underdog. I never really sold myself out for all that. And frankly, I had schools recruiting me that you would say stereotypically are better soccer schools than Iowa. And I saw something in the Iowa program. You know, I was the polar opposite of you, Jordan, where I, when I was in my recruiting process, I could have named every single girl on the roster, what their home state was, what foot they were dominant, what their GPA was, what their major was about every single fun fact, what their third uncle's name was. Like, I knew every single person in the Big Ten Conference at that time, it felt like, because I was stalking the heck out of them, trying to figure out, like, Okay, if I come into Iowa in the fall of 2019, this position will be leaving here, which gives me the best chance of being here. And all these, I was doing all the math equations of how I could potentially be getting my shot. And the biggest thing was I wanted a chance. I just didn't want to be a player on a good team. I wanted to help a good team grow. And I remember, frankly, sitting in Iowa in Dave's office and being like, do I have a shot to make an impact on this program? That was my goal. Because I want to leave here in four years knowing I left this program better than I started it. And that was a goal that I've had since 2016 when I committed to the University of Iowa. So Iowa was simply the place for me. And, you know, ever since, like, I fully view that my process started once I committed and didn't end. And though I was committed to Iowa, it was now how do I be a, my best my freshman year? How do I keep growing? So very, very opposite in Jordan in the sense of I was very well educated for different reasons on the process and how it all went, but very... I couldn't be more thankful for how it happened for me. I think we were very different, but there's also a lot of similarities in our stories. I think every single one of my emails, while I had no idea if the school was a good soccer school or what conference they're in or what they meant. I mean, I remember after I committed, like looking up Michigan State and seeing that schools were ranked and showing my parents to be like, look, they rank everyone. Every single email I wrote, I would be like, so I see that you have five forwards and three of them will be gone by the time I will get there. <laughs> um, and same wanted a school that I'd have an immediate impact with because I just knew my personality and there's no way I would be happy like be not being a part of of a team and uh I think that's also why I was so terrified when the coaches left not knowing if I was still going to get that shot um luckily Jeff gave it to me um but there's there's a lot of very very different uh things going on in our stories you knew in seventh grade where you were going to go and I probably didn't know until like end of my sophomore year of high school if I was even going to be able to play college soccer uh, much less where so it's a uh, very very interesting very very cool like you said that just every process is so different and seeing that we're competing against each other we're in the same conference but where we came from is, is so incredibly different is is really interesting really cool you know recruitment is a topic that I feel like we could spend weeks talking about you know it's so interesting in every single aspect of what is college recruiting and how does it work and what do you say in an email and how does an official visit work? Like it's so, so intricate. And so like, if you're listening to this, if you want to know those questions, shoot them to us because we're happy to help. And you know, one thing Jordan and I are excited about is we are going to bring guests on the podcast and we're going to bring someone who has committed recently. Cause like, as I especially said, the recruitment landscape has changed drastically since I've been in it. Jordan did it in the middle of a global pandemic. So how does that work now? And frankly, it's something that I'm not even in touch with. So I would love to have those questions, have those conversations. So absolutely. Like we'll definitely have someone on um, within the next couple of weeks here that can kind of give more insight into, the, like you said, the current recruiting process. But if you have any more questions about the way we went through it, like Sam said, shoot them to us. We're more than happy to answer anything. And speaking of questions, probably one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast is answering your guys' questions. And we got a lot shot to us this week. So we're going to answer three of them now and keep grinding off the list. Please keep submitting them you know, DMing them to us. We post a DM every Friday after this podcast drops on Thursday. So Jordan, this one's directed specifically to you. We apparently have a Michigan State fan that submitted a question. What is your favorite part about playing at Michigan State? That's a really good one. Both on and off the field, it's going to be the people. My teammates, my coaching staff, that's what makes it so enjoyable and so much fun is to be able to have those meaningful relationships on and off the field with them. And then Michigan State as a whole, as a university, again that family dynamic that it has being able to go up to anyone at any point um, and have a conversation and for it to be warm and welcoming and I think it's a big part of why I fell in love with Michigan State to begin with was 
afterwards, you know, I had already committed and everything. I had gone to a basketball game and me and my me, my dad and my brother were just walking around. And I remember just going like we passed by like three or four people and they were all like, go green or like, what are you here for? Or, like just starting a conversation completely unprompted and just. I remember talking about it after and just that family dynamic that Michigan State has um, being just so proud to be a Spartan and being able to be a part of it. All right, I'll take the next one off your plate. What is a typical day in the life? So the biggest thing is that's different for every single university. Everyone has a different schedule that they operate on and what it looks like. And being in season, it day of the week changes, you know, so my Thursday looks a lot different than my Tuesday and everything like that. But, you know, going through my day of like what a typical Tuesday might look like when it's not a game day. For us, we have morning practices, which I love. It's amazing that you get to roll out of bed and the first thing on your brain is soccer. So tomorrow, for example, I roll out of bed and I'll have 7.30 lift going into a 8.45 practice. So we'll lift from 7.30 to 8.30, go straight to the field. We'll practice from 8.45 to 10.45, whatever that looks like. And then the rest of the day, we have our classes. I personally think it's the best schedule and I, I couldn't have it any other way. Jordan's looking at me very, very weird. Uh, just because soccer's on my mind and then school's in my mind and I'm done for the rest of the day. And then for me, it's, you know, you go to your classes, you have your meetings, different things that you work on. And then for me, my time from eight o'clock to 10 o'clock is my time. And it's something I try to incorporate in every single day is my little bit of white space is what my coaches and I call it. And it's the, the spot on the calendar where nothing's going on. And we actually get to relax and chill out a little bit to keep this vibrant and personality bubbliness going i find it hard to believe that that vibrant personality has ever been missing i know and right I, like apparently okay side note like i said i got all these letters about my senior day and everyone was saying they're like your smile during warm-up just lights up the mood and i was like guys like calm down i'm happy sometimes like i like i didn't realize like my vibrantness was just that spreadful like i don't know i felt i felt a very big ego boost when i read it i'm not gonna lie i was like oh i'm glowing so apparently i am a vibrant person what can i say <laughs> we love that i also totally knew you'd be a morning person oh i'm such a morning person dude we had a, so we had a 10 a.m kick yesterday so it was really fun because it was like, dude, we're back in the club days. Like we had 6.30 pregame meal. I showed up, my whole team was dead. I walked in, I was like, good morning, sunshine. Let's go, it's game day. I am such a morning person. I can't stay up late at all, but get me up at 5 a.m. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, 5 a.m. is still the previous day to me. 5 a.m. <laughs> is the start of the next day. 5 a.m., that's disgusting. Like I told my academic advisor, like he scheduled me for 8 a.m. So I was like, Danny, I will never go to this class. <laughs> you need to fix it. I cannot get up before that. Oh my, I am not a morning person in the slightest. And I'm not surprised that you are, but 5 a.m. actually makes me physically ill, I think. See, like, I don't even have to get up at 5 a.m. I could probably get up at like 6.30, but I'm like, I might as well give up 5 a.m. Because I might as well, you know, drink a little bit of coffee, have a little bit of fun, have my morning time before I go to practice. That is wild. So what time of the day do you guys have your practices? We have practices after school. So my black is like, I I do class from 9.10 to 2.40 is just the way my class schedule falls, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. And then 3.15, we start practice. So I roll right from class, moped on over, go to practice, and then we'll train from 3.15. And depending on if we have lift or our mental performance or meetings or whatever, 3.15 is the start of our block and they go into the afternoon, depending on what we have. Yeah, I think I would struggle with that so much just because I feel like I'd be mentally tired by 3.15 from school. And then you still have to do homework after where it's like, dude, soccer, do it, have fun, go to the field. And the rest of the day is like, you know, I can do school, I'll do homework in between, all these little things. So yeah, that's funny. And then the last question we talked a little bit about this last week. How do you balance being a student athlete? So there's so many different regards. And obviously last week we talked about academics, but you know, there's so many other aspects. There is a social life that's involved. There is, you know, other opportunities if you take them. You know, I work for Girls Soccer Network. I was president of our SAC, like I talked about. So what would your top advice be for someone looking to balance all aspects of their life right now? It's hard. No, it's hard. People will tell you it's not. People will give you the the politically correct answer and be like, you can do it and it'll be fine. And it's not, it's really hard. <laughs> and I think knowing that helps tremendously being able to prepare for it. You know, and it depends, like you said, everything's different. It depends on your major. It depends on your practice schedule. It depends on uh, the university you go to. So much of it is up in the air, but 
it, it's really hard. It's something I struggled with the first two years. We talked about last episode. I'm just hopefully starting now to figure it out. Um, for me, balancing this academics and the athletics was taking advantage of all the resources I have. Going to our student athlete center, getting my study hall hours in, um, going into the rooms, getting my work done there, using our academic advisor to help me with, you know, all the logistics of things, getting tutors in every class that I could, having a set time that I have to focus on school and academics, because um, it, it's a hard balance, you know, and I think when you're at some of these top universities, they'll tell you that you're a student athlete, but a lot of times, like, the athlete part comes first, and that's just the reality of it, like, you are a soccer player, that's what you're getting paid to do, that's literally your job here, and then you work your academics, your study time, your homework, all that stuff gets worked around your your soccer schedule. And that was like, like a complete shock, I think, to me. I wasn't prepared for it to be hard. And I think now that I know it is, it allows me to kind of best adapt to it, not be so shocked that it's hard that I don't know and I'm scrambling to try and figure out what to do now. Like go into it and knowing that it's gonna be difficult from the start, be disciplined with it. You can't leave it till later. I think that's that's my that's my best piece of advice. Like get it done in the moment, take advantage of your resources. Perfect. I think you summed it up well. Jordan, what does this next week bring for you? This week we have our first away trip where we're not going to be traveling everyone. We're going to be in North Carolina for like 26 hours or something. So a quick trip. I think we're chartering. So that'll be nice. Some first class uh, treatment here. Uh, excited about that. So we'll head away to North Carolina State for our Thursday game. And then Sunday, we're home versus Dayton for our last non-conference game before we kick off conference play here in a week. That's right. Soon. That's crazy. It's our last week of non-conference before we get into Big Ten. So that's nuts to say. And we also have a big away trip. We have our first five-day away trip where we'll leave on Wednesday and not get back till very, very late Sunday. And yeah, we're flying out Thursday. We are at the University of Virginia. So a big matchup for us. We're super excited to go out there and, you know, leave a mark and do what I was always had to do. Like I said, we're currently five and up. So we have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder going in. We have some confidence built and excited for a really tough challenge. And then on Sunday, we play at George Mason. So five days in Virginia before we get back and have Big Ten on our eyes. Well, very, very good luck to you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please remember to download, like, to subscribe, share it with a friend, share it with a teammate, share it with a coach. Thank you guys so much and soccer on. Bye guys.